Open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. The series is called Let's Go Change the World. And the sermon today is called The Rescue of Peter and the Mission of Paul. The Rescue of Peter and the Mission of Paul. Last week we left Peter in the slammer. He's in jail. He's been in jail all week long. For several days he was thrown in jail last week. And so we're going to find out how he got rescued. And then exciting point in the book. It's actually a huge threshold where the camera changes from Peter to Paul. Paul goes on on his first missionary journey, and for the rest of Acts, he becomes the star of the book. Really, the Holy Spirit is the one who's starring, but he becomes the human who is most in view. So we're in Acts chapter 12. Let me start by asking you a question. Don't you want to know that your life is part of a bigger story? Don't you want to know that there is a realm of glory and that your life matters there. Don't you want to know that God plans to use you and that others will find hope in Jesus forever because you reached out to them? We're becoming bold witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Luke, in this book, is giving us great assurance that Jesus is alive. It's all true, and the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, is building the church of God to the glory of God. This is where we experience the very angelic realm of glory together on earth and where we go and beckon others to come and see what Christ has done for us. I want you to know, Luke wants you to know, God wants you to know that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. When that grips your soul and it becomes the reality around which every single thing in your life revolves, you will help others to see that Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we ask that you would move in power through your word here in the hearts of your people. We want to become bold witnesses who help others find their way to your eternal kingdom and we don't at the same time because we're distracted or bored or scared or nervous we lack courage we lack conviction so we don't go we don't pray we don't share and sometimes too often we don't care about the lost lord we repent of that and we invite you to make us bold witnesses for christ we know that doesn't start with techniques we know that doesn't start with training that starts when the light of heaven floods our soul and gives us confidence that you are with us and you can use us. So we ask that that would be true today. Fill us with your spirit as a church and as individuals and help us to make a difference in the lives of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 12, verse 6, but we're going we're gonna to actually start in verse 1 to, to catch up on what happened. About that time, Herod, that's Herod Agrippa I, we'll get to his story in a moment. Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, it pleased the Jews. All right, so you over there in that section, you get to be the villains today, all right? So I'm going to read what happened to James, and then you're going to clap. He killed James, the brother of John. They're happy over there. And King Herod, wait to hear his wicked family history, is like, well, ratings are up, polling is higher, let's keep that train going. 
when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, one of the feasts of Israel. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Sixteen soldiers, four squads of four, intending after Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. All right, number one, you can write this down. I was a bold witness for Christ. Peter's story is this. I was a bold witness for Christ. Two-point sermon, and it's written in a testimonial form. It's kind of a creative way to say if Peter was telling this story, if Paul was telling this story, what would they say? Peter would say, I was a bold witness for Christ. And it landed him in the slammer, and James the Apostle is dead. So God decides who lives and who dies. Peter's still alive, and it's the night before his execution. There's going to be a show trial, but it's already rigged, and he's a dead man. Why? 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 Because he was a bold witness for Christ. Write this down. I faced tremendous opposition and almost died. Peter would say, I faced tremendous opposition and almost died. Herod did his best, chained him to not just one soldier, click. You know what? Let's just be sure. See, Peter has already been arrested twice. All the apostles were broken from jail once. So this story kind of got around, right? How did it happen? We don't know. Found the jail, found the, they were, they were let out. So now what we'll do is, you know what we'll do? We'll chain him to not just one, but to two soldiers. So that, that should fix the problem that they were released from prison by an angel once already. Do you see how foolish it is when man tries to fight with God? What are they thinking? We're going to chain him to two soldiers, and then we're going to have 16 total, and we're going to have two gates and three gates and this, and then we're going to put him in the prison, and then he's not going to get out. Uh, this is his last night alive. He'll be dead by morning. Peter had no hope on earth of survival. Okay, let's talk about Herod. Now, the Herod family, they for sure would have a reality show today. Here is the Herod family tree, okay? So Herod the Great, up at the top, tried to kill baby Jesus. So when it says Herod in the days of Jesus, that's, not, that's, that's this Herod's grandpa, okay? This Herod's grandpa was a psycho. Uh, they said it was better to be his pig than his child. He killed two or three of his sons, including this Herod's dad. So mom sent this Herod to go be raised in Rome. And, you know, back then, if you were the king, you could kill anybody you wanted to. I mean, most people, you know, you got to stay away from the Roman citizens. Or, but, you know, you, so that was Herod the Great, tried to kill baby Jesus. He had several wives and he had several sons. There were four of them who were in charge of different areas. So when you see Herod the Tetrarch, uh, those are different Herods. There's a bunch of Herods, right? Herod Antipas, uh, Herod Archelaus, Herod Philip, Philip the Tetrarch. Those were all this guy's like uncles. And so in the lower, in the middle left, Herod Agrippa I is the Herod who we are now talking about. He now has an expanded kingdom uh, because he was raised with two of the emperors. So he, they put him back in charge of a kingdom that was like sizable like his grandpa. But when you grow up in this family, you learn to do whatever it takes to stay on the throne. It doesn't matter if you need to kill all of the babies in Bethlehem. 
like grandpa did, you get it done and you stay on the throne. That was the wicked line that he was about. Now you see King Herod Agrippa I, his sister was Herodias. You remember her story, right? She married two of her half-uncles, which is a little weird. She's the one who wanted John the, the Baptist's head on a platter, and so she got that done. So now, in this wicked family, King Herod Agrippa I uh, threw Peter in jail and killed James the son of Zebedee. This family is asking for it, and they're going to get it today. So Peter's in jail. He's a dead man. Imagine if Herod Agrippa I has already decided you're going to die. In a humiliating, embarrassing, public manner, Peter has no hope. So it says in verse 6, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. He went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Ha ha! You over there who were so happy that this was all going on, wait till morning! When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it's his angel. Peter continued knocking. And when they uh, opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. I like the way that's written, no little disturbance. <laughs> and after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Peter is free. What a, t a story. I faced tremendous opposition and almost died. Jot this down. Heaven had no trouble finding me and helping me. Heaven had no trouble finding me and helping me. Hey, where do you need help right now? Where in your life have you reached the end of your power? Uh, of your wisdom, of your ability to control a situation? What in your life feels hopeless? Hey, listen, heaven has no trouble reaching you and helping you. But you don't understand. Well, you're right, I don't understand. But when you've reached the end of everything you can do, heaven has no trouble finding you and helping you. None 
whatsoever. It's Peter's third time in jail. He slept well. The angel appeared, lit up the cell. Peter still didn't wake up. The angel had to kick him to get him up. Probably a testimony of the prayer of the believers and Peter's calm confidence that he's been here before and Jesus has met him here before. So he's not crying, screaming. He's not fretting. He's sleeping. We see that one angel appeared here and we learn that the spiritual realm is real. We learn in verse 7, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. A light shone in the cell, often when angels appear, but not always. Light accompanies their presence, and also they take on a physical manifestation. He struck Peter, and it worked. He didn't do this ghost thing like, oh, I can't touch him, I can't wake him up. No, they can take on physical attributes. That's what this angel did. We could camp on this for months, but we learn that the spiritual realm and the physical realm parallel each other, permeate each other. There's a transferability there, right? So John could be caught up in the spirit of the book of Revelation to see and experience the spiritual realm while he's still a man, and an angel can show up in the physical realm while he's still an angel. Angels are real. They're spiritual beings from the spiritual realm. There are many of them. There are innumerable angels in the spiritual realm right now. And angels are all around us. In this room right now, there are likely angels, but they are not detectable. They are created beings that demonstrate and manifest the glory of God. They are greater than us now in strength, in beauty, in light, in splendor, but one day we will judge them and surpass them in splendor. So they serve us now. They are servants of God, and they minister to us. This is a big theme in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts. Luke mentions angels 48 times in these two books. He's second in the New Testament only to Revelation, where John mentions angels 77 times, but that book takes place in heaven. So of course he mentions angels. Luke is second in his mention of these things. What do we know about angels? Many of them fell from glory. Those are called demons. Demons are angels who have fallen away. There are different kinds of angels. Two in particular mentioned are cherubim and seraphim. There are also living creatures that take on some combination of uh, animal and human form mentioned in God's presence. There are also things called archangels. So there's a hierarchy. There are powers. There are principalities. What's the purpose of angels? Well, they announce things. They show up and they are God's heralds. They also minister strength and comfort in a spiritual and physical manner to God's people. They witness God's goodness on earth and in heaven. They are witnesses. They delight to look into the things of salvation. They celebrate when sinners are saved. And they make a massive impact on world events, as do demons. Angels wrestle with demons, and the result of their wrestling is the uh, history of humanity is directed. They also thwart the wicked on earth. Angels are mighty, glorious, yet we are not to worship them or seek them or pray to them or ask them to do or be anything. That's Christ's role. And yet they are servants of God. Why do they show up in the book of Acts, in the book of Luke? Well, like everything Luke is writing to reveal to us that Jesus is alive. And we should believe this and we should tell the world. That's why the angel did this uh, that's why this happened. Heaven has no trouble finding you and no trouble helping you. It's often undetectable, but when it 
is detected like this, it gives us tremendous confidence in the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. God will give you his support, his protection, his guidance through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, through the church, and even angels minister to us, though we can't see it. How awesome is Jesus that he has an army of angels that can do anything he wants throughout the day? How awesome is Jesus and how able is he to take care of your greatest fears if you would trust him? He has no lack of ways to get support and strength and help to you. You should trust him. Heaven has no trouble getting its help to you. Do you believe this? Do you act like this is true? Do you talk like you've got a Savior who has an army of angels that can do anything? Or do you talk like there isn't a God in heaven and there's nothing that can be done and it's all hopeless and despair? And I know that I talk that way a lot in my own heart when I face problems and challenges and I can't see the future. But when I realize that Jesus has an army of angels who could do anything, that gives me tremendous confidence. I love that the angel shows up and just, boom, the chains fell off his hands. They just fell off. The angel didn't have to pick the locks. They just fell off. The physical world is subject to the spiritual world. The physical world came from the spiritual realm where God made it. It operates according to physical laws. It'd be a mistake to conclude that the physical realm is the spiritual realm. Some religions falsely teach that. That's not true. But the physical realm does do what the spiritual realm decides. And when the angel decides that the chains will fall off, they fall off. Peter is free. The angel says, get up, move, dress, go, and he did it. This was really happening. This was not a vision. Peter thought maybe it was a vision because he was like waking up, but this actually was real according to verse 9. And then they passed the first guard. They passed the second guard. They came to the iron gate leading into the city, probably the fortress prison that was connected to the temple. So the temple mount where the temple is, there was a fortress there on like the northwest corner. They're probably going back down the steps into the city and the gate of the prison opens up of its own accord, just opens up because the angel said so. Tremendous power. They went out, went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. Now he's on his own. So heaven had no trouble helping me and finding me. Now jot this down. God's power flowed through the praying church. God's power flowed through the praying church. Here's the important human element that we can't overlook. There was a human side to this deliverance. The church, it says in verse 5, was making earnest prayer for him. Day and night, it's middle of the night, they're praying for him. James is already dead. Peter's a dead man by morning. They are praying. Hey, what are you praying for right now? What are the problems that you think are beyond your ability to solve or control? What is trapping you? What What are the bars in front of you? Are you praying? Are you praying fervently? Do you have other people praying Prayer is a giant reason that this angel showed up. The power of prayer is on display here. When Peter came to himself, verse 11, the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark. So this is John Mark. John Mark would write the second gospel, Mark. And everybody back then had a Jewish name, John, and also a, a Roman name, Mark. That's why Paul and Saul, you know, Paul is his... Roman name, Saul is his Jewish name. So John Mark, and Mary is his mother. 
wealthy family. Mark was a rich kid. And the big house, that's why the church, the whole church met there. So there they were. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate. This is one of the funniest things that's happened here in the book of Acts. Peter is a free man. And he goes to John Mark's house. The church is praying there. And he gets to the, the gate and he's like... And then he hears, ah, and then nothing. She runs in, and she's like, Peter's at the gate. And they're like, quiet, we're praying. And she's like, no, you don't understand. He's at the gate. And they're like, you don't understand. Quiet. Maybe it's his angel. They thought maybe he had a guardian angel. The Bible doesn't teach that. You know, but and the angel maybe looks like you. Whatever. They're like, oh, give me him. It must be his angel, you know. We don't know what, maybe they thought he was dead. Maybe they thought that this was just support. Who knows? They didn't go to the door. This is really funny. Because Peter's free from jail, but he's locked out of the house church. <laughs> you ever feel like you're the one messing up a God story? Rhoda is messing up the God story. She doesn't open the door. Prayer is powerful and effective, but there's always a human element. Don't let that confuse you. So it says in verse 16, Peter continued knocking. This is great. He's just like, they're going to come for me. I'm a dead man. They're going to get here any minute. I'm free. Why are they opening the door? <laughs> And then finally, they opened. They saw him, and they were amazed. Okay, make your amazed sound. Ready? One, two, three, go. <laughs> Quiet. Okay, I'm going to tell you the whole story. Angel showed up, knocked the chains off, I got out, gates open. Thanks, Rhoda, for nothing. Okay, and uh, tell James, tell the church, I'm going to get out of here so I don't die. Bye. That's the way it happened. And they're like, this is awesome. So he told him the whole story. Tell James, that's the brother of Jesus, that half-brother of Jesus. Then he departed, went to another place. Then the guards, they woke up. That's a funny thought. The guards, uh-oh. If you don't guard the one you're supposed to guard, the punishment that was supposed to happen to him happens to you. They're all dead men. That's what happens. Cross-examined, and they were sentenced to death. They were killed. Peter lived. God's power flowed through the praying church. Are you praying? Remember when Pastor Alex was here and he shared that amazing story of a deacon in Ukraine who was praying, and while they were praying and the sirens were going off, an artillery shell hit their house and blew the top of the house off, and they had all these eggs they were planning to visit to local villages. The house from above their head was, was gone, and yet not one egg was broken. Friends, you can't explain that except by prayer. That family was praying for safety, and God said yes. God's power flowed through the praying church. Are you praying? Are you praying that the lost would be saved? Are you praying that your kids would be devoted to Christ? Are you praying for your grandchildren to embrace the faith? Are you praying for your church? We've got that prayer calendar in the bulletin. We must remain humble because James died, but Peter lived. God decides the outcome, okay? But here God decided Peter would live. And jot this down, Herod the opponent was judged by God. Herod the opponent was judged by God. It goes on in verse 20 to say this. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace. So the people needed food. They were like, all right, let's make peace with Herod, because their country depended on the king's country for food. 
On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not a man. Josephus, the historian, also mentions this story. And he says Herod put on his shiniest robe, so he was shimmering and shining in the light while they were calling out, he's a god. Verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Bam! They had it coming because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. This is a judgment of God, clearly. This was revealed to Luke in the spirit that it was God who ordered the execution through an angel. And through the angel, the angel caused a worm infestation in his bowels. Not every sickness or disease is directly from the spiritual realm, but the scripture tells us this one was. Despite all the treachery, all the family history of trying to keep themselves in power, the worms won and ate them alive. Friends, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a glorious God. So Herod died an agonizing death. Josephus said it took five days for the worms to kill him. Terrible, terrible way to die. I love verse 24, the triumph, but the word of God increased and multiplied. What a victory lap. The word of God is not chained. The word of God advances, and Herod died. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Friends, Peter would say this, I was a bold witness for Christ. I faced tremendous opposition and almost died. Heaven had no trouble finding me and helping me. God's power flowed through the praying church, and Herod, the opponent, was judged by God. What does this have to do with us? Heaven is helping us. Let's go. Heaven is helping us. Let's go. It doesn't matter the response we get. It doesn't matter the obstacles. It doesn't matter what's standing in the way. Heaven is helping us. Let's go. And that ties into the next point, number two. Let's, let's talk about Paul. Peter, this is kind of his last lap. He comes up a bit, but I was a bold witness for Christ. Paul, jot this down. I was a bold witness for Christ. I was a bold witness for Christ. And these people are inspiring us to be bold witnesses for Christ. So it says in chapter 13, verse 1, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. All right, jot this down. I was empowered by the Holy Spirit to go. I was empowered by the Holy Spirit to go. And the church sent them off. This is the beginning of the first missionary journey. There's going to be three of them. Probably a fourth happened after Paul's imprisonment in Rome. But this is the invasion of the gospel to the uh, outskirts of the Roman Empire. Here's a picture of where the first missionary journey started. This is just the beginning. And they started Antioch, which became the base of missionary op uh, op operations back then. Then they sailed out of Seleucia to Cyprus, Salamis, and then Paphos. This is the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And so, so they're off. 
But it's clear here that the one who tried to destroy the church, who was appointed an apostle to reach the Gentiles, was empowered by the Holy Spirit himself to go. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who dwells inside of us when we become Christians. And he does many things, equips us to serve God, directs us according to God's plan, but it's important to know the Spirit comes upon believers only. When I, my children were younger, I would sometimes give them a little Bible quiz at dinner. And at dinner one day, I said, when does the Holy Spirit come to live inside of us? Cassie, always quick-witted, said, probably on a Sunday. <laughs> Very satisfied with her answer. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us when we are saved, born again. What does the Spirit do? There are many ministries of the Holy Spirit. Few of them include welcoming us into the body of Christ, filling us with the indwelling presence of God, helping us in our prayer life, anointing us with divine power to speak and serve through the spiritual gifts that build up the church. Gifts generally fall into the category of speaking gifts and serving gifts, but it's the Spirit who empowers them all. That makes us together the body of Christ. So what is the church? The church is the place of the manifest presence of God through the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God works through the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is what the church is. Too often people have a very earthly view of the church. They think of my church, which is the bricks and the building and the budget and the, the ministries and the, all of that, right? The burdens, the drama, and the joys. And that is what it is, but it's something so much more heavenly than that. Something, that, something more heavenly that you can't even imagine Throughout the ages, all of the Christians who were born again are united as one as the church, the body of Christ. So it's so much bigger than just us here. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit as a gathered community, yes, individually through our devotion and prayer life, but together the picture here is the gathered church was the place where the Holy Spirit was moving to reach the nations. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord, in verse 2, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, maybe through a prophet or maybe through itself, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Friends, the church is the place where God manifests his presence in power. In your soul individually and as we're gathered together. And I have to tell you, this is being lost on our generation today. Not just the young generation, but every generation. We are losing sight of just how vital and crucial and important the gathered spiritual community of God truly is. We have to recapture the understanding that the Holy Spirit is filling us and moving us to reach the nations through healthy church community. Being a part of healthy church community is essential to encountering God and enjoying His presence and unleashing His power. I'll say that again. Being a part of healthy church community is essential to experiencing God, encountering Him, enjoying His presence, and unleashing His power. Without that, we grow dim, we grow weak, we grow alone, we are vulnerable to temptation without spiritual community. So many today are missing out on all that God has for them because they are checking out of a church community. And when you have less community, you have less maturity. When you have less community, you have less assurance. It's the Holy Spirit working through the gathered community here 
to propel the church out to impact the nations. Jot this down. God's direction flowed through the praying church. God's direction flowed through the praying church. They were fasting. They were praying. They were gathering. They were worshiping. And that's where this all came from. That's where the nations were impacted from the spiritual community. Today, a lot of people are checking out of church. Even those who were devoted to church, to Christ, before COVID, so many of them have just not returned. There's a nonchalance and indifference and apathy to gathering in spiritual community. Many people make this mistake of thinking they can just do it on their own. What difference does it make? It's just me and Jesus. But that's not a biblical understanding of how to encounter God or enjoy his presence or go and reach the nations. We are to not give up meeting together, as Hebrews says, as some are in the habit of doing, but we are to gather as long as it is called today. So we have to be devoted to this or we will miss out on what God has for us. The fact that attendance is declining in the Christian church is part of a bigger trend in our country because people of uh, all faiths are, are uh, decreasing in their devotion to spiritual things. Here's a Barna poll that came out, a chart. This goes all the way back to 1940. Actually, it's a Gallup poll. It's a Gallup poll. So in 1940-ish, when they started asking, you know, do you happen to be a member of a church, a synagogue, or mosque? Those are the three monotheistic faiths in the U.S. 73% in the 1940s said yes. It peaked up at 76% of those asked would say they were a part of a church, synagogue, or a mosque. It started to decline in the 80s and then went back up a little bit, 2000s, and then down, 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 down. So that today, just 47% of Americans, down from 73%, would say they happen to be a member of a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. For the first time in recorded history, the number of U.S. adults who would be part of one of these three monotheistic faiths is now below 50%. And I ask you, friends, if that trend continues in the Christian church, what will become of our nation? And what will become of our church? What will become of our passion? What will become of our children and our grandchildren if they aren't constantly, consistently involved in spiritual community that's propelling them out to the nations? We have an obligation to be a praying church, a gathering church, a worshiping church, a sending church, that starts not when you feel guilty, not when you see a statistic. That starts when you realize what the church truly is. Too often people treat the church meetings, going to church, like it's just one more thing. But I hope you see in the Bible here that church is like nothing else on earth. When you come to worship, it's like nothing else on earth. If you believe what you're reading about the spiritual realm and the angels and the demons and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, if you believe what you're reading is happening right here, right now, you want to be here. You want to be here. And you want to be a part of what God is doing in the entire world. And you want to invite that to happen in your own soul. God's direction flowed through the praying church. Do you feel like your spiritual life is low voltage? Like you don't experience God much. You don't hear from him a lot. You don't feel his presence. Often that's tied into a neglect of being around other Christians, the body of Christ. Sometimes, even though you are immersed in community, you feel these ways. 
But the way God is going to help you during that period is through those around you. If you feel like you want more of God's presence in your life, pray with other Christians in community. When you pray with others in church community, those high-voltage wires will start to sizzle in your heart. It will activate all of God's power inside of you. Listen, friends, the church is electrifying. But if you unplug, you lose all the power. Prayer, fasting, worship, gathering. This is where God calls people into vocational ministry. And some people from our own church might feel a call to go and devote their lives to ministry, to make a tremendous sacrifice. This is where our kids and our teens will encounter the Word of God and understand what's going on in the spiritual realm and have a different view of the future because God is moving in their souls. God's direction flowed through the praying church. Hey, are you connected, tied in regularly? We need this community. Well, Paul, I was a bold witness for Christ. I was empowered by the Holy Spirit, but guess what? The direction for his life flowed through the praying community that he was a part of. Isn't that awesome? And then jot this down. We proclaim the truth about Jesus. Now they're off. And what are they going to do? Well, we read here in verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews first. And they had John to assist them. So they proclaimed the word of God, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And what is this truth? What is this word of God? Well, it's that we must be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. That is what they proclaimed everywhere they went. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Okay, he didn't have a hat with a rabbit in it, all right? When you see magician in the Bible, it's not like, ta-da, pick a card, all right? This isn't like a coin trick. This is a person who claimed to have otherworldly power to manipulate situations for rulers. Good guy to have around as a counselor because he knows what God is thinking and he can vex your enemies. And so this guy was an official assistant to this proconsul who was a ruler of the island. Although he was Jewish, he was a false prophet. He was saying untrue things about God. He was enriching himself by this. But now he had a chance to encounter the truth about Christ. What would happen? Well, it says here in verse 7, He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that's his name, Bar-Jesus, same name, that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you are a son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time." Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. They proclaimed the truth about Jesus. It was opposed. The person who was opposing them was judged. 
and someone believed. Do you see the parallel between the two stories here? Peter faced tremendous opposition, almost died, heaven had to help, God's power flowed through the praying church, and then Herod, the opponent, was judged by God. Paul, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit as a witness, God's direction flowed through the praying church, they proclaimed the truth, and then this guy, Bar-Jesus, was judged by God. But Sergius Paulus believed and was saved. Last week's sermon was called How People Respond to the Gospel, and I have to ask you this. How are you responding to the gospel in your heart right now? Are you like those who hear it and you're like, yeah, I don't think so, and you just reject it? Are you like those who oppose it and you're like, yeah, those Christians, that church, that, and you are against it, uh, or do you believe? Sergius Paulus believed and he was saved We must be saved by grace through faith in the risen Lord. That's the gospel. This is the message we're sharing with the whole world around us. Do you believe? And then jot this down. Bar-Jesus, the false prophet, was judged by God. Bar-Jesus, the false prophet, was judged by God. This is a big warning here to not fall for other spiritual forces, other powers, other access points into the spiritual realm. Paul said, you son of the devil. The devil is a fallen angel, so angels are here active again. This one is deceiving this man. He's an enemy of all that's righteous, full of all deceit and villainy, and he's making crooked the straight paths of God. So don't fall for that. Today there are many ways you can fall for that. Other entry points into the spiritual realm, the crystals, the magical forces, the incantations, the spells, the horoscopes, the charms. It's all nonsense. There is one access point to the Most High God, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Satan, bad angel, spiritual warfare happening here, trying to disrupt the spread of the gospel, to distort the message, to divide the church. This man was Jewish, which means he should have known better, and Paul pronounced a judgment on him. This is not a good witnessing tool, so if you're going to go out and share the gospel, okay, don't start striking people blind, all right? You're not an apostle. You don't have the authority to do that. God, in his wrath, decided it was time for this man to be judged. Thankfully, it was just for a time. This kind of parallels Paul's story. Maybe this guy got saved. He was sure given time to think about it. How humiliating. God took away his sight. Has that happened to you before? I had an eye infection once. I woke up and my whole eye had fogged over. I couldn't see anything. Total blindness. There was, there was light, but it was totally fogged over like a, like a windshield, and I was like, I can't see. I can't see. Had to go to the doctor, antibiotics. They thought I had something on my eye. It was scary. That's what happens. And so this is a warning to those who are opposing the gospel and refusing to believe. And here's what I would say. I would say there are some in this room who have been negligent in believing the gospel. You've been opposing it or at least resisting it, and you know better. You've been raised better. You've been taught better. You have been raised. This guy was raised in the scripture, and he was doing this, and God's judgment fell on him. I would say this. If you're in that category of people and you know better and you're stiff-arming God and you're refusing to believe it, stop now and truly embrace the gospel. Bar Jesus, the false prophet, was judged by God. Wow. Well, we've heard a lot of amazing things here, and we're learning how to become bold witnesses of the gospel. 
And we're learning that Jesus is alive and we can believe it and we should go and share it with the world. Let me close by sharing a quote from Dr. Thomas Chalmers that gives you an understanding that you're here for a reason. He says this, we'll put it on the screen. Every man is a missionary now and forever, for good or for evil, whether he intends or designs it or not. He may be a blot radiating his dark influence outward to the very circumference of society, or he may be a blessing, spreading benediction over the length and breadth of the world. But a blank he cannot be. There are no moral blanks. There are no neutral characters. We are either the sower that sows and corrupts or the light that splendidly illuminates and the salt that silently operates. But being dead or alive, every man speaks. Hey, will you devote your entire life to telling and showing everyone around you that Jesus is alive. Let's pray that God helps us to commit ourselves to that. Jesus, thank you for these wonderful stories in the book of Acts. People respond so differently to the truth of the gospel. Herod tried to destroy the church and it cost him his life. He died in agony. Peter was set free. James laid down his life and died a martyr, the first apostle to be martyred in the scripture. O Lord, Bar-Jesus was raised to know better, spent his whole life distorting the scripture, profiting from that, and when he heard about the Messiah, he tried to turn a man away from it, and he was judged, struck blind. And yet Paul, the man who tried to destroy the church, devoted his life to telling others the good news. Lord, right now in this room, there are people who are responding, and, and those online, in countless ways to the gospel. You're looking into their hearts right now. And I pray for those, for those who have not yet received Jesus as Savior and Lord. I pray that in their own spirit, you would convict them of their sin. Show them that it's all true, that you're alive, you died on the cross, you rose again, you rule heaven, and you can save them. I pray that they would repent right now, believe the good news, and say, Jesus, save me. I especially pray for those who have known better their whole life. They have known better than to treat you the way they've been treating you. May they finally stop doubting and believe. Lord, I pray for those who are facing a very hard trial right now, something that makes them feel trapped or powerless. They have no more strength or wisdom. They cannot control this situation or that person or this problem. Heaven has no trouble reaching them with help. I pray that they would trust you with great faith calling on you to deliver them, rescue, strengthen them, lead, guide them. Lord, show that you are able to minister to us no matter where we are. And Lord, for those who maybe feel a special call in their life to sacrifice in a special way, to serve you, O oh Lord, in a role here or somewhere else, whether it's an increase in just a volunteer effort or a laying their lives down for part-time or full-time service in ministry, I pray that your spirit would send people out and raise people up to build up the church. And Jesus, I pray that you would, in this room, in this church, move by your spirit every week because your church is electrifying. This is where you manifest your presence in power and mobilize the church to go and reach others. So Lord, fill us with that power. We pray this in Jesus' name.